Let's hear the word of God in the epistle scripture assigned to Ascension Sunday. Today, these words from St. Luke in the second of his books, the book of Acts after his gospel and written again to this one whom we don't know but must be a friend or recognized person in his life, Theophilus. Luke recounts in the beginning sort of a brief summary of his gospel message and then talks about the ascension of Jesus. He writes, in the first book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus did and taught from the beginning until the day when he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions for the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking to them about the kingdom of God. While staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you have heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? He replied, it is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going and they were gazing up toward heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. They said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. I remember the evening well. It was one of those perfect, beautiful, starry nights for a campfire on top of the mountain at Laurel Ridge. Some of you have been there for these. You might have been there that night. It was the opening night of senior high camp in the mid-1970s. And in those days, um, senior high camp was the last camp, the last week of camp for the summer. And in some ways, it was a, a special week for staff after a long summer of hard work and cleaning cabins and caring for all the campers and the volunteer staff and providing program support. I was the director of Laurel Ridge then, and Carl Sutherland was my colleague, who was the director of the Provincial Youth Ministry. And the two of us had invited one of our former seminary professors to come down from Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, and serve on the program leadership team for the week. Dr. Howard Cox 
the longtime Old Testament professor at Moravian Seminary had never been to Laurel Ridge before. I'm not sure he had been to a senior high camp. And we were very excited that he was willing to come. He was a pretty demanding uh, academic teacher, a wonderful Old Testament scholar. He gave my first paper in the Old Testament back to me, and he said, Rick, you need to do a little more work on your footnotes. (laughs) And I remember the first day of class in Old Testament. He came into the room. He lectured on the book of Genesis. He opened his revised standard Oxford edition. He never looked at a single note. He lectured for 50 minutes. And when the class period was over, he looked at all of us who, by the way, had been frantically taking notes this entire time. And he pulled down his glasses as he often did on his nose. And he said, just think, ladies and gentlemen, this is only the beginning Then he turned and he walked out of class. I didn't know whether to stand up and clap or be (laughs) petrified, but an amazing person. Well, the campfire that evening at Laurel Ridge was wonderful, uh, special for Dr. Cox and for all of us. As I thought about that again this week, 120 campers so excited to be on the mountain together again, to be in this place that was so special to them and their spiritual lives and their spiritual relationships with each other. I think you probably could have heard the guitars and the singing that night all the way down to North Wilkesboro. And we sang many of the camp songs that were favorites, but on that night, on that night, two of those songs were especially important. The first was called He's Alive, Good Christmas, I mean, Good Easter tune. He's Alive, and then Glory, Hallelujah, Jubilee. I I think Luke would have liked these songs and their texts. In He's Alive, the verses go something like this, if you don't know it. I have come that you might have life and have more life than you had before. I can see above the clouds, and I can hear him call my name out loud. Christ has left us with his spirit, life for us to be completely free. So hear the spirit calling us to ventures that proclaim his love for all. He's alive. He's alive. He's alive. And glory, hallelujah, jubilee. You don't have to stand up like we did then. (laughs) The verses proclaim, well, he picked me up and he turned me around and he set my feet on higher ground. Glory, hallelujah, jubilee. He gives me peace. He gives me joy. This old world cannot destroy. Glory, hallelujah, jubilee. We sang and we sang. And after that campfire, the moon was so bright, it's one of those nights. You could walk back to the cabins without a flashlight. You remember the flashlight. That's what we had before, cell phones. (laughs) And that night I walked down from the top of the mountain with Dr. Cox. He said he was so happy already that he had decided to come for the week. 
And when I asked him about what he thought about the campfire, he turned to me and said, Rick, it was just wonderful. I'm touched and inspired and expectant about being here. And you know, after experiencing a campfire like that in a place like this, there's something to be said about the glory of it all. Glory, hallelujah, jubilee. Well, friends, certainly today is Ascension Sunday. It's the Sunday where the glory of it all is something to reflect on and to receive. The Sunday is tucked in between the resurrection of Jesus and the Easter season, and then next Sunday and the gift of the Holy Spirit that gave birth to the church on that first Pentecost. The ascension story from Luke in Acts is about glory, of course, about Jesus' glory. A glory shown that day in such a mysterious and miraculous way on the top of the Mount of Olives. In fact, other than a brief mention of it in the later and longer version of Mark's gospel, and a brief referral to it in the gospel of John, Luke is the only gospel writer who gives details of this event. Now, in the early church, the proclamation and remembrance of the ascension was of great significance to Christians, so much so that you probably remember it, that it's a part of both the Apostles' Creed that we use and the Nicene Creed. And I think that even though in the church today we, we've gotten used to moving quickly from the Easter lilies and that he's risen indeed to that business about the mighty rush of a wind and tongues of fire at Pentecost. And it may be true that in doing that, we may be missing out on some of the glory of it all. Some of the glory of Jesus and also the glory that Jesus desires and promises to all of his followers. People like those gathered all around the world in churches like this today, people like you and like me. The glory of it all. You see, for Jesus, the ascension marks the end of his earthly experience, at least for now, according to Luke. After his resurrection, he stays with the disciples, Luke says, for 40 days teaching them, teaching them, teaching them more about the kingdom of God. He tells them to stay in Jerusalem and to wait there for the promised coming of the Holy Spirit. And when you look closely and think about Jesus' relationship with this group of people, you see how much in this period of time that he cares for his followers and that he understands that his coming earthly absence, if you will, at least as they see it and they feel it, is going to be hard for them. He's told them he must go to his father to go be with God, that he and his heavenly father are one. We just heard that in John's gospel. He's told them, don't be afraid about my leaving. You will not be alone. 
Every time I read this, I think the disciples' responses is not unlike what children often ask when parents say they're going somewhere. You know this. Can we go with you? When are you coming back? Who's going to stay with us while you're gone? Jesus has also told the disciples that God has room for them. And God's promises of love and faithfulness to them are not momentary. They're eternal. God, he says, will never let you go. So Jesus' ascension marks, very importantly here, the transition for the disciples from the Jesus who was dead and has been raised to the Jesus who is now Lord of all. The Messiah, the teacher, the healer, the servant for them for three years, the transfigured one, our friend, our brother, the giver of abundant life and joy is now our Lord. One to be worshiped, one to be adored the one who came that we might truly see God, the one who has dominion over death, the one who brings us and all of creation into reconciliation with the creator, the God of grace, the God of love, the God of light, of forgiveness and purpose and never-ending eternal joy, the glory of it all. Randall Mixon, in his commentary, writes that the good news for those left standing on that Judean hillside is that Jesus not only comes from God, he returns to God. And this is the true movement of the life of the followers of Christ. We come from God, we go to God. The invitation and the challenge for us in the meantime is to keep our lives centered on God, rooted and grounded in God, trusting in God and allowing God to be the one, as Luke says later in Acts, in whom we live and move and have our being here and now on this earth From God to God, maybe it's a childlike way to think of this, but I remember one of the earliest images surrounding that journey of faith from God to God, and it was centered on the arrival of a new calf in the barn of my grandparents' farm next to us. I think, as I remember, I was in the first grade at the time, and I'd heard all this talk from the adults about a calf on the way, but we weren't, I don't know about you, we weren't given any cow, birds, and bees lectures <laughs> that I remember. I just recall the excitement of the morning when the calf had arrived and then going to the barn with my grandmother to see it for the first time. He, he was a little male calf, brown, slick, trying to stand still on those wobbly legs. The cow, Bessie, of course, was keeping close watch on the calf and on us as we rubbed that calf's head. And as I looked at that calf and his shiny head and those big black eyes, I remember asking my grandmother, Grandma, we called her Grandma, where did the calf come from? 
And you know, without any hesitation, my grandmother, who rarely had a lot to say, said, Ricky, the calf comes from the heart of God. All living things come from the heart of God. Wow, I thought, <laughs> from God. So our dog Tony came from the heart of God, and my brother and my little sister came from the heart of God, and my mother and dad and the rest of my family and the butterflies and the birds, you get the picture. Fish in the creek. I like that. That helped me. That was a theological gift my grandmother gave me. I still like it. God's heart is big enough to give us all life. And God's heart is big enough to welcome us home again when our life here is over. The life and message of Jesus proclaimed to us that reality and the experience of the ascension brought that reality home in a glorious, glorious way to the disciples and to Jesus' followers ever since, from God to God. So, what do we do in the meantime on that way from God to God? And Luke, of course, the historian that he is, says, well, Jesus answered that question too. He said, you go and be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Not just in Jerusalem, not just in Judea, not just in your neighborhood, not just the people who are like you. No, you go and be my witnesses to the ends of the earth and you tell everyone about the Lord. You have seen it with your eyes. Writer Jeff Peterson Davis says that this is where the glory of it all comes to rest on the disciples and on us too. With the ascension, the work and ministry of Jesus changes from Jesus himself to those who follow Jesus. Jesus is no longer here to preach the good news or heal the sick or feed the hungry. This mission now falls on the disciples, on us. And on that mission, Jesus promised that we are never alone. He may be absent physically, but through the Holy Spirit, he will be present in all places and in all times. And not only will the Spirit empower our ability to fulfill our mission, the Spirit will gather the witnesses together into communities of faithful people in order to accomplish all the work that Jesus' followers are called to do. We call those communities of faith the church. Next Sunday, we'll talk more about that. Is this mission a big one? Of course it is. Sure. It's no wonder, frankly, if you read this story, the disciples are still standing there gazing into heaven to try to take all of this in. But it still remains the message that the church needs to hear. Stop staring at the clouds and get going to the world. Perhaps the 16th century prayer of Teresa of Avila sums it up best. 
She wrote, God of love, help us to remember that Christ has no body now on earth, but ours. No hands, but ours. No feet, but ours. Ours are the eyes to see the needs of the world. Ours are the hands with which to bless everyone now. Ours are the feet with which he is to go about doing good. So, brothers and sisters, on Ascension Sunday, Christ's mission in the world is something we celebrate today. And we rest in the assurance in that celebration of God's promise in Christ that we come from God and we will return to God. Again, we give praise to God for the life of Jesus Christ who lived among us, taught us of the love of God that flows from God's heart into all the world and into all of our lives, and we are joyful. Glory, hallelujah, jubilee. He picks us up. He turns us around. He sets our feet on higher ground. He gives us peace. He gives us joy that this old world cannot destroy. Glory, hallelujah, jubilee. You know, Howard Cox died recently. He taught thousands of students uh, through the years, I'm sure, about the glory of God. He was a faithful servant of Christ. And I'm going to bet you at his death, when he opened his eyes to the glory of the heart of God that welcomed him home, he saw God smile at him and say, Howard, just think, this is only the beginning. Amen. Amen.